beginning at verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, oh, sorry, that's end of verse 34. Now, moving down to verses 54 to 62. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word, of the, the, word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is God's word. So we have been uh, over this Lenten season. Um, we at, at Grace Valley, we've been looking at the relationship between Peter and Jesus. Of all the, the disciples, we know more about the relationship between Jesus and Peter than any of the other disciples. Uh, there's more written about their personal interactions than about uh, the interactions between Jesus and any of the other disciples. And one of the things that you have to say about Peter is that he loved Jesus. There's no question that he loved Jesus. Even uh, when they're in the upper room and Jesus says, listen, all of you guys are going to fall away from me in, about, in, in what's about to happen to me. Peter says, not me, Jesus. Not me. Everybody else may, may fall away from you, but not me. I'm willing to go to prison for you and with you. I am willing to die for you. Now, I know, Peter's impulsive. We've been, we've been talking about that. Peter says whatever's in his head and he just blurts it out without thinking and, and he doesn't think things through. That's true. That's no question. But you can hear the intensity of devotion and commitment in his voice. He loves Jesus. Even in the garden, you know, when they come to arrest Jesus, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and he starts slashing away. And of course, he fights like a fisherman, not like a soldier. So he cuts off an ear instead of a head. But you can't question his sincerity. And even in our text this morning, where Jesus is taken to this, this trial uh, in Jerusalem at the headquarters of the Sanhedrin. Only two disciples follow Jesus there. One of them is Peter. 
And yes, he keeps a distance. We're not entirely sure why, but we do know that he wants to stay close to his Lord. He loves Jesus. This is his friend. I think he probably loves him more than you and I do. Yet here's the thing we learn. We learn from this story that even though Peter is so committed and so sold out for Jesus, it seems, his love for Jesus is not enough. Peter's love for Jesus is not enough to to prevent him from, in the end, denying Jesus. And of course, this this denial of Jesus that we read, it's it's terrible. It's a betrayal. It is awful. It is heinous. It is horrible. It is unthinkable. It is seemingly unforgivable. But you know what? Here's the thing that has just been eating at me all week long. It's the fact that even though it's all those things, it is also so unbelievably ordinary. It is so mundane. It is so typical. Faced with a little bit of pressure to identify with Jesus, Peter crumbles. You ever do that? I can tell you I've done it. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I remember when I was in high school, I had a privilege. I got to go to a Christian high school, and uh, I'm thankful for that experience. But I know that while I was there, there was a, a certain period of time where I had a lot of friends who didn't, who weren't Christians. Uh, you know, I called them townies. <laughs> I lived in a small town. I hung out with the townies, played sports with them and that kind of stuff. And when they would meet me and get to know me, they'd say, so uh, uh, where do you go to school? And I'd say, I go to a private school. And it wasn't even like I was getting any pressure. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about sounding preachy. I just didn't want to look weird. And the number of times where I have had the opportunity to identify with Jesus or mention Jesus to someone, and I have just bailed on it. See, my love for Jesus is not enough to keep me close to him. And your love for Jesus is not strong enough to keep you close to him. There's a great old hymn called, uh, we're going to actually sing it later, it's called um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And one of my favorite lines ever penned in in a worship song comes from that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's me. Is that you? Does that does that describe you? Do you know that your faith is weak and fragile? That's one of the lessons from this story this morning. But you know, that's not the only lesson uh, in this story this morning, because as I said at the beginning of the service, this is Good Friday. This is Good Friday. Everybody should go home and um, Google, no, not Google, YouTube. Uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You guys ever heard that? Okay, that's your assignment today. At some point, you've got to listen to 
It's Friday, but Sunday's coming by, I think, Samuel Lockridge. It's a preacher. It's from a sermon. You're going to hear another portion of a sermon, but man, it's worth it. It's really, really good. This is Good Friday, and what Good Friday tells us, what communion tells us, what we're going to do in a few minutes as we meet around Christ's feast table together, what it tells us, what the cross tells us, is that no, your your love is not strong enough. It's not strong enough to keep you close to your Savior, but His is. You may say under, under pressure, under circumstances, I don't know the man, but He will never ever say that about you. You may deny him once, twice, three times, multiple times, but he will never, ever, ever, ever deny you. Let's look at the strength of his love from this story, okay? As we prepare to to meet with him at the table. In verse 61, it says, The Lord turns. So after Peter denies Jesus the third time, verse 61 says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, that language is of a particular kind of look. When it says that the Lord looked straight at Peter, it it means not that Jesus sort of glanced at him or glimpsed him somehow in the quarter of his eye. No, no, no. It's a deliberate look. It's It's an attentive kind of look. When you take all four of the Gospels, it pieces together the circumstances under which this happened. Jesus has been brought to the compound of the Sanhedrin, okay? And, and uh, there's, there's uh, all these buildings, there's this courtyard in the center, and there's all these buildings around it. And the, the people who had gotten in, like Peter and others, the servants and those kinds of people, they're all in the courtyard in the center, and they're sitting around fires, and they're keeping warm all night. And Jesus is off with the Sanhedrin being tried, And they're probably on the second floor of one of these buildings, and and they're all sort of open-air buildings, right? In Mediterranean uh, places, this is common, and in Middle Eastern places, this is common. And as Jesus is being tried, we learn as as we read from other stories, that people in the courtyard are trying to overhear what's going on up there. So they're trying to listen to hear what's happening to Jesus. And what they hear is they hear him being beaten, Jesus is being punched in the face, he's being slapped in the face, he's being spit in the face, he's being pushed around and knocked around, he's being asked all these tricky questions by people who are trying to get him to to trip up and say the wrong thing so they got something to nail him over. And all this is happening to Jesus right now. He's under all this pressure and he's getting beaten and he's getting questioned and he's he's getting pushed around and all that kind of stuff. And then a rooster crows somewhere on the compound and and Jesus immediately turns his attention to Peter. And in order for him to do that, he had to look for him. He had to search him out. He had to look down from the second floor to see in the crowd where Jesus was and have his eyes lock on him. In other words, Jesus seeks Peter out with that bloody, swollen face. Maybe his eyes are half shut from being punched in the face so many times. He looks for for Peter. Why? Not so that he can say, traitor. Not so that he can sneer at him and say, I told you so. No, it's this penetrating gaze of compassion His eyes lock on Peter. 
And as one theologian, B.B. Warfield, put it, as our Savior was being tried and preparing to bear the sins of us all on the cross, he had the time to give one look to a faltering disciple and so save his soul in saving the world. In the middle of his own suffering, Jesus is thinking about and strengthening his friend. He looks with compassion and grace upon him. And this is how he has behaved throughout the entire story. Remember, go back to the story of the garden. And if you're, you're here and you don't know these stories very well, I, I encourage you to spend some time reading through the story of what's called the passion of Jesus, his, his, his time in the, in the upper room with his friends, his time in the garden, his time uh, being arrested, and of course, up to, up to his crucifixion. But if you go back to the garden, you'll remember that Jesus is in the garden with his disciples, and he says at one point, he says, my soul is now sorrowful even unto death. What does that mean? mean? It means that he's saying, you know, I feel like I'm under the weight, such a, a weight of responsibility and, and such a terrible future that I'm about to face. I, I feel like I'm going to be crushed to powder. I feel like I'm a moth in front of a blowtorch. And so he asks his disciples, please stay up with me. Keep watch with me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to bear me up. I, I can't be alone right now, please. And what do they do? They fall asleep on him. In the midst of his darkest hour, they fall asleep on him. Now think, if you have ever been in tremendous turmoil, if you have ever had like a crisis in your life that is possibly going to tear your life to shreds, what is the one thing you simply cannot do? Sleep, right? You ever had to keep vigil by the bedside of a loved one that's dying? You can't sleep. You're so exhausted, you're so tired, but you can't sleep. If you're facing the, the destruction of your relationship, maybe with a, a spouse or, or a family member, and you're, you're torn up about it, you just cannot sleep. And here's the disciples. And they fall asleep on them. And what does Jesus say when he finds them? You ungrateful punks. No. I get it, he says. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I understand. Just hours before this, Peter is saying, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be with you. Everybody else is going to fall away, but I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. And now here's Jesus as he looks at Peter and he says, I'm still here, even as you're falling away. And you know, that's enough to say, man, what a loving friend Jesus is. But there's more to it because Jesus knew Peter was going to do this. And in a way, it's not that he tried to prevent it, but he, he gave Peter an opportunity to think about it. In verse 31, it says this, Peter, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. What does that mean? You know, uh, in the olden days, when you when you needed to when you harvested your wheat, you would you would uh, you would roll it around and shake it up and all that kind of stuff, and then you would toss it in the air, and then the wind would take the husk, would take the useless parts that don't matter away, 
and the, the useful part would fall back to earth, and you could use it. And you'd had, you had the kernel, and the husk was gone. And when Jesus says Satan wants to, whisk, uh, wants to sift you like wheat, what Jesus is saying is, is, look, Satan wants to tear you apart, Peter. He wants to rip you to shreds. He wants to destroy you and your identity. But Peter, I have prayed for you, he says. I have prayed for you. And what does Peter say in response to that? Peter thumps his chest and he says, no, it's not going to happen to me, Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, is that really true? Well, you got to help me. Yes, please pray for me. Strengthen me. Encourage me. I need you, Jesus. He doesn't say any of that. He says, not going to happen to me. I'm the rock. Remember, I'm the rock. I got this. So Jesus gets specific. Peter, you're going to have three chances to stick with me in solidarity. You're going to have three opportunities and each time you are going to save your own skin. You're going to deny me. You're going to take the cowardly way out, Peter. If it happened once, I get that. You know, you're kind of caught off guard. Someone asks a question, you go, whoa, no, 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 not me. I get that. You're kind of scared. But you're going to have two more times to, to, after having let that sink in, you're going to have two more opportunities to fix it and to make it right. And you're going to deny me each time. And not only that, Peter, you're not going to just say that you're not with me. You're going to say you don't even know me. Three years of friendship, gone. In the blink of an eye. Now, imagine if you uh, had a very, very, very close friend who was wrongfully, uh, was wrongfully charged with a crime. And they have to go on trial. And of course, you know, you, you, you want to support them. And so you're going to go to court to support them. But you know... People hate on this guy because the social media uh, has been abuzz with all kinds of rumors and, and all kinds of gossip about your friend and he's been vilified or she's been vilified in, in the, the poll of, of public opinion as they, or the court of public opinion as they say and people are saying that, that slime ball, they deserve to rot in jail, they deserve everything they get and you arrive to, to, to show support to your friend because he feels like he's completely and utterly alone but he's, at least he's got you and all of a sudden the media just swarm around you and they start peppering you with questions. How do you know the accused? How long have you been friends? Were you, a, were you surprised at what you heard that they had done? And, and they just kind of peppered you with all that. And all of a sudden, you just sort of said, stop, wait, 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 wait. I don't know this guy. I don't know this woman. I don't know them at all. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not me. I was as shocked as everybody was. And you hang them out to dry. That's what Peter did. And Jesus knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He knew that Peter was going to say about him, I don't know him. Translation, this guy means nothing to me. I don't know him. I have no opinion. And yet in that moment, having known that's what's coming, Jesus refuses to hit Peter, to condemn Peter, to, to say, I told you so to Peter, to lay into Peter. He just looks at him with compassion. What did that look do? What did that look accomplish? Well, two things. They're in verses 61 and 62. 
It says, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. It triggered two things. The first one is, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And what did, what did Peter remember? Of course, he remembered, I told you this was going to happen, that I, pre I, I predicted this. But, but more than that, because the full quote is, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus told Peter ahead of time, you're going to fail. But you're also going to be restored. You're going to be restored. I am going to restore you, Peter. That's not going to be the end of the story. The end of the story is not your failure, your failure to love. The end of the story is going to be my commitment, my faithfulness to you. And that led to verse 62. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Literally, it means he broke down. He, 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 he was undone. He crumpled. He fell apart. He, he had this, this tremendous sense of remorse and repentance that he, he saw his sin so clearly and his pompousness and his overconfidence. He thought he was so strong. He thought he was so ready to stand up for Jesus and he couldn't even face a servant girl and her friends. Like, the picture I have, because I'm a modern person, eh, is like a, a bunch of judgy tween girls. Everybody laughs because everybody knows it's the most terrifying group on the planet. <laughs> you do not want to mess with them. And he fell apart in front of them. And see, his sin was not some huge moral failure. It wasn't like some spectacular scandal. It wasn't like he got caught in some weird sex triangle or he... he evolved into a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This was so mundane. This was so ordinary. This was simply discovering you're not all you think you are, Peter. Your faith is so flimsy and so fragile. And yet, Peter saw there was his faithful Lord covered in spit, beaten, swollen, bruised, having been mocked, and worst of all, about to face torture at the hands of the soldiers and the denial of his own father on the cross. Because when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what was happening in that moment? His own father was saying, I don't know the man. His own father was rejecting him the way his best friend had, and yet he was steadfast, faithful. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He is relentless. He is persistent. He is unwavering. He is tenacious. His love never, ever, ever gives up for Peter or for any of the disciples or for you or for me. And he knows you. He knows how weak you are. He knows how afraid you are. He knows how with a whiff of opposition you will bail. He knows that about you. And, and where you and I would say about any friend like that, what, why waste my time with them? He says, I 
spill my blood for them. That's how much I love them. That's why today's Good Friday, friends. Because Good Friday tells us, yeah, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but he takes your heart. He takes it and he seals it. He seals it for his courts above. Your love's not strong enough, but his is. So cling to him the way he clings to you. Let's pray. Father, your son is amazing in every way. Enable us to cling to him for who he is, for what he's done for us. Help us to see the wonder and majesty of his faithfulness even in the midst of our mundane but horrible sin of faithlessness. May we be undone by that. If there's anybody here this morning, Father, who wonders, who wonders if God could love them, may they see Jesus loving Peter. May they see Peter as just the everyman. He's all of us. Some of us have done some horrible, horrible stuff in our lives. We have sinned massively. Um, Many of us maybe feel like we haven't done all that much. But every single one of us has to admit somewhere along the line, we've denied you. And yet you're there. Teach us, Father, to hold on to you just as you have held on to us and your son. In his name we pray. Amen.